say, when I was in seminary, one of the most impactful things that I remember about my three or four years there was uh, going to a professor's home every week. My wife, Erica, and I would go with a couple of other friends, uh, other, other classmates, and we would study kind of at the feet of this, this sage. He was a Hebrew scholar. John Golden Gay was his name. And we just felt really lucky to be there every week, and we would just read through the scripture, and he would explain things to us. But what was interesting about John is he was married to a woman named Anne, and Anne had MS, and it was very advanced. And that meant she just kind of laid on the couch, and she was essentially comatose, but, but the doctors believed she could hear everything and kind of comprehend. She just couldn't respond. And so John was really gracious and kind and not, not a very big or assuming person, but he was very opinionated about the etiquette that anyone who came in his home would have with Anne. He wanted everyone to greet Anne just as you would greet anybody else who is fully, fully functional and didn't have that um, debilitating condition. So we would say, hello, Anne. And, and it was really interesting. I remember one time in particular, I have this strong memory where we were talking about this question that I'd like us to ask today, what is love? And John went on to explain, well, there's different Hebrew words and Greek words for love, and, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and there's a friendship type of love, and there's an erotic sexual type of love, and there's the affection type of love you feel when you see a puppy, you just can't help but, oh, I love this cute thing. And then there's the biblical Christ-like type of love, and he said in Greek, it's agape in Hebrew, it is hesed, and I remember at the time really trying to drill down, asking a lot of questions like, well, what does that mean, though? How? And he said, well, it's sacrificial love. It's loyal love. It, it's love that never gives up, and it keeps going. And then I just, it's like everything in the room froze, and I stopped hearing his words, and I just zoomed in on what he was doing. And as he's explaining love and what love is, what sacrificial love looks like, I look at what he's doing, and, and everyone got quiet. And he's, he's putting the little, little uh, bottle of Insure in Anne's feeding tube, and he's just gently stroking her hair as he's explaining and teaching us. Now, we knew the backstory. We knew that their marriage had not always been easy. He had the equivalent of an emotional affair early in their marriage, and it, they almost got a divorce. And so there was that betrayal, and there was this turmoil and dysfunction and the hypocrisy. And yet, somehow, when Anne got MS, their love started to sacrifice for one another. They started to love each other in ways that they never had really loved each other when they were healthy. And now, sitting right before all of these seminarians is this living embodiment of a man who faithfully loves his wife in an agape way, in a sacrificial way. The scripture today that we are, we're going to look at is 1 John 3, 16, and we're going to go through 21, actually. And as we do that, I, I want us to ask the question, what does real love look like? What type of love should animate our, lo our life? Uh, before we jump into that, just uh, a few housekeeping items. We are finishing this series in First John. Actually, to, to more accurately say it, we're putting a pin in it. Uh, we're we're going to come back next summer and finish off First John. We like to take an exegetical 
walk through a book of the Bible in the summer, but we, we haven't been going super fast this summer. We're going to pick it up next summer. Next Sunday, we start a series on the life of David, and it is called There Will Be Giants. There will be giants because there always are. A lot of different types of giants, but God calls us to stand up and to fight and to trust in, in the name of the Lord to slay those giants. And so I would encourage you to come and feel free to invite neighbors or share that on social media. But today we finish our time in 1 John, at, at least for 2021. And let's read this. I'll be reading from the NIV. 1 John 3:16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is God's word. I'd like us to just have a, a conversational approach to this scripture, because there's a lot there, but, but the two questions that animate this text are this. First, what is love? What is real love? And second, how, how do we have peace in the presence of God? How do we have a restful, confident heart in the presence of God? So we'll, we'll tackle those, and that'll outline our time together. What is love? John already taught us, not just this John, but John Golden Gay, back in Pasadena, California, in his living room. He taught us it is standing by someone, a brother, a sister, a spouse, a neighbor, a friend, in a way that sacrifices. And, and John the Apostle says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So just naturally, his logic flows, we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is not the cultural approach to love. Can we, can we notice that? Culturally, love is, is kind of something closer to a, a stimulant like a high you would get from a drug. That's what most people in our culture seem to con confuse love for. They think love is something you fall into, like a hole in the ground, like a cliff you walk off of. And, and so therefore, I can fall into love, and I can somehow fall out of love, and it's very mysterious, and it is accompanied by the tingles. But John says, that's not what love is. There is a type of love that's kind of like that. It's called affection or eros, uh, uh, sexual attraction, but that comes and goes. And that's, that's not what you build your life on. That's not what is holding up the, the, the pillar of reality. At the center of God's creation is sacrificial love. It's love that lays down, voluntarily lays down my life for your life. It's love that reciprocates and, and says, well, I'm going to now lay down my life for your life because you laid it down for me and because the creator of the universe showed us the pattern of sacrificial love. And, and so there, there's these really um, 
gut-wrenching questions you might ask yourself. One is, am I loving in a way that actually lays down my life? Ever. And you might think about that in your relationships. If I'm honest, in my flesh, in my natural state, I'm not really tempted to lay down my life for Erica or for my kids. I'm tempted to maximize my comfort, my enjoyment. I mean, I'm more drawn to the affection side of love or the friendship side of love or the eros with my wife type of love, but not the laying my life down because laying your life down kind of hurts, doesn't it? I was moved um, to tears even thinking about Afghanistan recently and the people that are stuck and there was a whole group of special forces operators that just, they're retired, they're old, too old to be doing this, but they, they just decided to charter a plane and, and go and they got hundreds of people out. <laughs> they, just, they called it Operation Pineapple, I think, and, and, and some of them died and we don't even know. And it's really interesting, they won't even get the government death benefits and all, all that, be, but they just, they were done with the military, and then they said, no, that's wrong. I'm going to lay my life down to get interpreters that I love, that I care for, to get Afghanistan nationals who, who helped us years and years ago, and I'm just going to lay my life down. And, and there is this weird principle, don't you think, that some of us, maybe, maybe even most of us, would, would say, yes, if push comes to shove, I would put my life on the line for my loved ones. What, what good mother wouldn't say, I would take a bullet for my kid? Of course you would. I mean, I've, I've sat in hospital rooms with families and, and the parents, as, as they, they just look at their little nine-year-old with leukemia and the tears come to their eyes and they just say, I just wish I could have it instead of her. But here's the thing. It's one thing to give your life literally to die for somebody. It's another thing entirely to live for somebody in a way that lays your life down. I think a lot of us would say, yes, I'd take a bullet. I love her that much. I love him that much. I would, if push came to shove, die for you. But, but I don't know if I can live for you the way that God is calling me to live for you, to lay down my life for you. It's a, it's a really crazy standard, right? I mean, if you're shopping in the world religion department, there's easier ones. <laughs> you know, like, Islam has like five easy steps, the five pillars. You just got to do this and this and this and this, and, you, you know, I mean, you're in. You know, Buddhism, your whole goal is to just try not to feel anything and distinguish all desire and, you know, that's pretty chill. And then comes Christianity. And it's like, could you just love everybody in such a way that you'd lay your life down for them? You know how Jesus got nailed to a big wooden beam and tortured to death? Could that be the shape of your life? That's, that's all we ask. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, guys. If you're watching online and you're on the fence... I mean, I don't blame you if you're hearing this part of the sermon and you're like, ah, not a great pitch. I don't think I'm signing up for the timeshare. It's just not in the cards. If that's what love is, I don't know. But, 
but the question remains, every time you do something and you think that's loving, you could ask yourself, is it sacrificial and is it honest? Because that's what the text kind of implies. If anyone has material possessions and sees brothers or sisters in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person if you don't want to sacrifice for somebody that God has put in your family, in your spiritual family, in your sphere of influence? Then, then it might not be love if you're not willing to sacrifice. But it also says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions. In, in fact, actions are sacrificial. You've got to do something. And in truth. I was at the State Fair. Anyone go to the State Fair recently? It was actually pretty awesome because most of you weren't there, and it was, there was hard, hardly any lines, and it was really cool, and I never waited in line more than like a second. But on the way out, I walked past three homeless people, and I was with my dad, and I just saw them, and one of them just caught my attention, an older female, and she looked like she had lived a really hard life, and I just thought about my little girl, Adeline, and what circumstances would have to happen for her to grow up and find herself in St. Paul with a cardboard sign asking for money. And I, and I worked at the Union Gospel Mission right out of college, uh, working with homeless. And, and so, you know, I'm savvy to some of the, the problems of street begging. You know, there was a guy there, uh, Denny, I think his name was, he, he would brag. He'd make like 300 bucks in cash every day. And he would just, you know, he was kind of a classic abuser of that system. And he was addicted to drugs and he was always cash flush and he, he was very creative with what he put on the cardboard. And so, so there's always been this tension in me with giving money to people on the street. And, and I was thinking about this scripture, and I was talking to some friends about it this week. And, and I think that line, let's not love with just words or speech. Greek, it means speechifying. That's kind of a cool Greek word. It doesn't translate exactly, but don't just speechify. That's what politicians do. They overpromise, underdeliver. Don't do that, but do it with action and in truth. And in truth means there's this balance between grace, sacrificial love, pouring out, giving the $20 to the homeless person, but also in truth, like thinking what is real, what is wise? What would actually advance God's best for this person versus enable this person? You know, and, and that requires all kinds of discernment. It's almost as if for you to sacrificially love, for me to sacrificially love, we'd have to be Wi-Fi connected all the time to a greater intelligence source. It's almost as if God would have to put his literal spirit in our hearts, and we would have to get good at listening to that spirit so that we would know which homeless person to give $20 to and which one to silently pray for as we walk past that person. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. The second question that the text asks is, how do you know that you belong to the truth, that you're walking in truth? This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It's like John is anticipating where his readers, where his hearers will be at, because he's just spent a few chapters using some pretty strong hyperbolic language. You're either in or you're out. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. You're either following Jesus or you're not. And the love of God is either in you or it's not. And so he kind of anticipates some of you at this point have been tenderized kind of like meat. And you're probably wondering, wow, can I even set foot in the presence of God and be at rest? Do, how will I stand with any version of confidence in the presence of God? Because I know how, how much I fall short. 
I, I imagine my friend John, the professor, was wondering that too. I can't believe I betrayed my spouse. And, and it, even a few thousand insure bottles into caring for her, even, even going the extra mile to make sure all my students speak to her and she's included, he might feel condemned. He might feel like he just can't get away from the, the regret and how he fell short. And some of you, I think, today, you have a condemnation problem. When you quiet yourself in the presence of God and you go to prayer, because you know you should more often, when you do, you don't think of God, you think of, wow, it's been a while. I haven't really had a quiet time. I'm not very good at that. I don't read scripture as often as I should. You don't think of the love that God has for you. You think of the ways that you could have done more. You think of the fact that, yeah, you gave money, but you haven't given as sacrificially as the preacher said you should. Because he said this one time, if it doesn't affect the car you drive, the house you live in, the restaurants you eat, the vacations you take, if it doesn't pinch any of those categories even a little bit, you might be generous, but you're not sacrificial. And that stuck with you. And you think, ah, I can't be here in the presence of God with confidence. And it's like John anticipates this. And he says, you want to know how you belong to the truth? Do you want to know how to be at rest in the presence of God? If our heart, if your heart condemns you, we know that God is greater than our hearts. So it's like he's anticipating there's one group of people that every time you're in the presence of God, you're going to experience this, this condemnation. And if that's you, John is saying, God's greater than your heart. Don't sit there. Now, this is, this is kind of mysterious. Because on the one hand, the Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a believer and constantly is making mid-course corrections throughout the day. You know, you're tempted to say something back when someone's a little less than charitable to you, to be sharp, to be cutting, maybe to be funny, but you just know it's not holy, it's not right, it wouldn't be good or true or right or beautiful, and the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 don't say that. Just be quiet. You're tempted to, you know, give somebody that magical finger on the road, because they cut you off? Or how in the world do you sit at a light that has been green for 2.8 seconds looking at your phone, bro? And the Holy Spirit's like, you know, one time you sat at a green light for 3.9 seconds. So just settle down. And so the Holy Spirit should be constantly speaking to us and kind of, oh, no, 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 no. We don't need to go there. We don't need to say that. We don't need to do that. You don't need to smoke that. You don't need to do this. But that, that's just a healthy pattern of a believer. But then the enemy can and often does create this really weird psychological, spiritual problem where you're constantly feeling condemned. Anybody ever struggle with that? I have. Basically, if you haven't and you're a preacher, you're not... You're not doing a good job because, I mean, you, if you're reading this stuff and you're preaching it to other people, you, it just jumps off the page at you and you're like, oh, man. And when I get like that, I think of this scripture. What a beautiful truth. If Mike's heart condemns him, Mike knows that God is greater than Mike's heart. 
insert your name here. What do you think that means? Well, he tells you what it means. He knows everything. Greater than my heart means he knows everything. Do you know that there's two types of PTSD? Psychologists have now confirmed this. There is classic PTSD. This is, you saw something really traumatic, and it kind of comes back in nightmares or in different psychological ripple effects and patterns that can disrupt sleep and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, you see it in veterans and police officers and sexual assault victims. And, you know, it's, it's based on something you actually went through that you remember. And, and even if you've repressed part of it, like you really do remember it. And then there is not classic PTSD, but complex PTSD. Complex PTSD accounts for some 60% of diagnosed cases of PTSD in the, in the general public. Complex PTSD is post-traumatic stress that emerges from things that happened to you before you really had recollection ability, stuff that you don't remember. So like if you were abused as a child, like a real young child, or you just, you know, as a two-year-old, you never felt safe around all the big people around you, and mom and dad just slapped you around and stuff like that, that can kind of sit with you psychologically over time. I, I find that fascinating to know that people sitting around us, maybe even you, are struggling with stuff that you don't even remember, but it's left a scar on you. I mean, much like if you got a, your back broken when you're one or something like that, and you have back problems, you didn't even know you broke your back, but your body kept score. In a similar way, God, it's like John is saying, don't forget that God sees everything. He knows all the weird stuff you struggle with, even if you don't know why you struggle with them. He knows stuff that you have forgotten or you never were old enough to remember. He knows stuff that, that if you knew it, you might actually go a little easier on yourself. If you could see from his point of view all the ways that sin and brokenness have affected you over your journey, you would be a little more gracious. And so John anticipates that there will be a group of people and there will be people that will fall in time, at times, into this condemnation. And he said, if that's you, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. Stop whipping yourself and fall into his arms. And he said, if that's not you and you're in this other camp, if your heart does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. If you can sit in the presence of God and say, I know you love me. I know I'm not perfect, but I just want to be with you, God. He said, well, that's even better. <laughs> you understand the gospel, and it has so deeply touched every fiber of your being that you can stand in the presence of a holy God, not because you're so perfect and holy, but because you understand there is one who gave you his record. And when God looks at your soul, he sees the same purity that he, he sees when he looks at his only son, who lived the life that you can't live and died the death that sin demands of you and rose again and intercedes on your behalf, the right hand of the Father. So what is love, my friends? Love is more than 
talking about doing sacrificial stuff, if those special forces operators would have just sat around and talked about, man, if we went in there, we could probably get a, get a plane and we think of all the people we could get out. That wouldn't be agape love. Love is getting in the plane and going there knowing the risk. Love is forgiving when someone doesn't really deserve to be forgiven. Love is showing up. Sometimes I promise my kids stuff just to make them go to bed. Do you guys ever do that? And the later it gets, the more irrational the negotiations get. The other, the other day, I don't really like comics, and I don't really like going to the comics store because I feel like you gotta like run interference on what they see and they wanna buy stuff and it's just, it's just the whole thing and they never wanna leave. And I was like, if you go to bed, I think maybe tomorrow we could go to the comic store, but you'd have to really get some good sleep and go to bed. So I promised them that. I instantly regretted it thinking about it. Now here's what agape sacrificial love would have done in the morning. And here's what I did. So agape, sacrificial love, real love, the love that Jesus embodies, would have gotten up and said, I'm going to make you breakfast, I'm going to let your mom sleep in, and we're going to go to the comic store, my favorite place. It's going to be great. But here's what Mike did. I slept in a little bit. Erica, I think, made breakfast. And then when I did wake up, I said, honey, would you do me a, a favor? I told the boys that we'd go to the comic store. Could you take them? <laughs> now, because my wife is more advanced than me in the agape love, she did it. And that's amazing. We should just all give her a round of applause or something, you know, right? Yeah, there you go. So that's what love is. Now, if, if that just happens over and over and over, that's called enabling and a toxic relationship, and that's a whole different thing. But that's what love does. It doesn't speechify. It, it puts their money where their mouth is. It sacrifices. It gives. It goes to the comic store when you don't want to go to the comic store. It takes care of the spouse that doesn't deserve to be taken care of in that way. And, and what is peace? What is resting in God's presence? It's knowing that God is greater than our hearts, that he loves us, has a plan for our life. This week I sat with uh, somebody in the hospital who has a very serious medical condition. Uh, I did a funeral at Fort Snelling. And so there was just a seriousness, a soberness of, wow. And, and every time I do funerals and I sit with someone who's facing potentially an early death, I always think to myself, what do I want people to say at my funeral about me? It's a really good question. Have you ever been to a funeral where someone got up and said, she laid down her life for everybody all the time? Her type of love was sacrificial. It was honest. It wasn't not in a weird, codependent, compulsive, no boundaries way, but just in a, a winsome, courageous brave, sacrificial way. That's what we're called to. And that's the kind of love that makes it possible. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion, and I'm going to invite Pastor Chad up to do that.
part of the reason we take communion is to remind ourselves what real love is. So would you just pray with me? Gracious God, help us to not just know what real love is, but to engage in the actual behavior of sacrificial love. It's only by your spirit and directed by your word that we can do this. May our lives resonate with a pure love that comes from you, from the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.